Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, uh, I'm on location right now, and so if I sound a little bit different, that is why, but either way, still excited to see you and be here for our conversation today. Absolutely, man. It's It's been just a whirlwind. Like I think this is just life at some point, right? I mean, we got to stop saying it all the time that it's, it's busy and crazy. And, you know, like we, we make choices to put ourselves in these positions. You make choices to, to do the things that you're doing. And, and I certainly make choices to fill up my time and occupy my life. And it's great. And it's challenging sometimes too. So um, it is good to catch up and say what's up and, and do this like we always do. No, you're right. It is a busy time of year and you're right. It's also life. And I think if you're out there listening and you're getting sick of us saying it's busy because you think of your schedule and it kind of is the yeah. same where it's like, there's always something. Yeah. I, we totally understand. We totally understand that. Uh, and in our world dealing with and working with sports teams and coaches, it's pretty cyclical, right? You know, you yeah. have all of the, the spring sports in Minnesota starting right now. Um, I'm doing some work with some college football, uh, spring practice type stuff. And so yeah. it's just, it's just part of the deal. And, and, um, like you said, we do make choices. So we're certainly not making excuses. It's just nah. what it is. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a good reminder you know, you say it out loud often enough and you start to think like, oh, it's, this is the lot I've been handed in life rather than this right. is the lot I've chosen, you know, and you're right. Spring sports are starting and early season for like teaching and learning is such a critical time to do some of the mindset stuff. So I'm, I'm out and about a lot right now. Awesome. Cool. Like it's an opportunity to, to serve teams, to do what, we want to be doing right to, to do what this was intended to do. And, and if we're not out doing that, it means we're not getting those opportunities. And so, yeah, it might make life a little bit chaotic with two little ones at home. And, you know, like you guys been traveling a little bit. There's just awesome. Right. Like, let's go. Right. I, I think about the coach Jay episode, right? Like, woo, let's go baby. Right. Like I just hear him say it. So um, speaking of which that, that brings us to our guest for this week. John was John was not available for this conversation, so I got to kind of fly solo with uh, Chef Brett Smith. We got connected to him through a former guest, Rebecca Rouse, who is the owner, founder, Semper Stronger. Brett actually works with them as a brand manager. Was coming on to do some to chef, do some nutrition stuff, and ended up having to pivot and things. So we've been trying to have this conversation for a while. Is what is what it boils down to. I was excited to get. To, to talk to him about his journey into the culinary world and, and how that's kind of shaped a lot of life experience for him. No, I, I, like you said, I wasn't available and, and that's part of why I don't have my microphone. So if this is your first episode listening. I usually don't sound like this. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but um, we appreciate you joining us. And if you are a long time listener, uh, Hopefully you'll come back and this won't turn you off, but Jamie, I'm super excited to, to hear your conversation with him. I know we've gotten to connect after you talk to him and, and he's somebody we've 
tried to get on a couple of times, right. Where yeah. it's, it's, it just hasn't worked out scheduling wise, but I think it's a powerful story. Um, and one that, you know, especially with our listeners largely being from the Midwest and being from s- small town. And, um, you know, it's something that I think we can all relate to and, and we have all dealt with in some capacity. We've all had some of these things that you guys talked about, yeah. um, impact our lives. And so, um, yeah. no, I'm excited to, to see, listen to your first, I mean, my, would be my first too, but the solo interview, I'm sure it, uh, has a little bit of a different flair. Well, and he said it, he emailed me after the fact and was like, we could have probably talked for a couple hours. It's just that Midwest, like easy connection, easy conversation. And he's out in Jersey now serving clientele in the New York metropolitan area. And he's just like, it's, it's a little different. And like you said, we all know what, what we're kind of about in the Midwest. And, and we hope to, to speak to some of that and some of the challenges that that is and some of the great that that is here at, here in the episodes. So thanks for joining us. Jamie, you got better. I'm excited to get better from listening to it. And thank you all listening now for joining us. Here we go. Uh, Chef Brett Smith joins the podcast today. Um, I'm excited about this conversation. We've been trying to have it for a little while. Some things, got, some wires got crossed some things got messed up, but, but I'm really excited yes. that you're here to join us. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So where are you at right now? What are you up to in your present moment? And then we'll kind of work backwards to how you got here. All right. Um, so my name is Brett Smith. I am a private chef in Northern Jersey. Uh, I live in Clark and, uh, my home office is in also. Um, currently, it's 75 and sunny. I have the day off, kind of. Um, just gearing up for a busy kind of holiday weekend. My, I'm originally from Iowa, and my, my folks are actually flying in uh, tomorrow, actually, to spend some time with my family. So, um, you know, just trying to get things squared away. And, yeah, uh, that's you know, pretty much it. Nice. So you're a private chef that leads me to believe, and, and I understand from having listened to another podcast you're on, that you have some experience at this chef thing, that you have some clout, some cachet to be able to draw private clients. Walk us through how you get to this point, because it's kind of a, an interesting story. We were talking just a little bit beforehand. You started working in restaurants when you were 14 years old. Why? What, what was the draw? How'd you get in, into the restaurant industry? Um, so <clears throat> originally I'm from uh, central Iowa and the town I'm from is about, uh, let me see, I don't want to be wrong, but ballpark around 7,000 people. Um, I think, you know, when I grew up, we had one stoplight and by the time I graduated high school, we might've had two stoplights. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm from, um, I'm from a no stoplight town actually. Oh, so very, um, very so I'm very familiar. Yeah. It's wildly different from where I am now. Um, but you know, I always wanted to, I wanted to work. I wanted to be able to have some sort of like play money. Um, you know, it's very boring town. Yeah, you grew up, you, you know, you, most, most guys played sports, um, which was pretty time consuming, but, you know, I always wanted to do something more like after school, um, especially if it was a particular off season, um, 
I played a lot of sports, but I still wanted to do something extra. Uh, I wanted to buy my own car, and like back then, there was no like cell phone. But I mean, you know, you had the Nokia self like candy yeah. bars, cell phones, but there's nothing <laughs> like cool. Like the only thing cool to buy uh, growing up was like your own car and like maybe a car stereo. So For sure. I had to figure I had to figure something out. So. Uh, and the only way you I, connected with people was in a car, right? You drove around to find yeah. other people to meet them and say, Hey, what's yeah. going on tonight? You didn't like that text messaging thing that all the time yeah. access didn't exist. And you, and you said, Hey, um, you know, Hey, I see somebody's car. Let's go drive it and then flash our lights at them. So that they'll stop or turn around or whatever. And then we talk to them and like, what a crazy it's, evolution it's, of life. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I try to I try to explain that to people now, um, especially like kids, like my wife's cousins and stuff that are out here that might be in you know, middle school or high school. Like, what the hell are you talking? About? <laughs> and it's just like that's what we did. Um, yep. But you know, the there wasn't very many options um, for work. I mean, there was maybe three restaurants in town. There was like a pizza spot. Uh, bar and grill type place and then uh, like a greasy spoon diner and that's pretty much it um i grew up in you know pretty pretty typical midwest family um and my mom was a really good cook my, both my grand uh, grandmothers were really good cooks so i was kind of like gravitated towards food and i was a husky kid so i loved to eat um I shopped in the Husky section of the department store that you had to drive a half an hour to get to, Um, you know, and I knew a couple of the older guys from high school uh, that seemed like kind of cool guys. And they, they told me about it and I thought it was just, you know, I thought it was super interesting to just, you know, after school, go to a restaurant that, you know, you grew up eating at and just being able to, to cook food, make people happy, listen to music really loud. You know, it wasn't a tr- traditional work environment. That's that's for sure. For sure. You, know, everyone for like, sure. you know, everyone was like drinking at work and like listening to music really loud and swearing a lot, having fun. And I was like, oh man, sign me up. Yeah, sounds at 15, like a, that sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it was awesome. I think like, and there, there wasn't a lot of rules. Like I remember like picking up a bartending shift when I was like 16, mm-hmm. like, which is highly illegal, but I mean, that, whatever. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. It's just that, that's kind of, you know, got me into the kitchen. And then once I started like, once I started cooking and, um, you know, experiencing what a busy night in a restaurant was like, I kind of got hooked on like the, uh, certain adrenaline aspect of it i mean it's fun it's super high pressure high uh, you know fast pace but when you're you're in the zone like you know that that zone that people talk about which i hope everyone's everyone listening has experienced at least once in their life but like no doubt a lot of the draw for something like a restaurant job is like most of the time you're in the zone and that's an amazing feeling to have so that's what kind of got me to stay yeah. in the industry. So. so my wife served for a little while, you know, at nice restaurants, not, I mean, not high yeah. end, right. We're, we, we lived in the lakes area in Minnesota and, and there's oh, okay. some really, really nice restaurants up there. And, um, they're, 
she just, she served in that, in that industry for a little while. She, she was talking to me when we were talking about having you on, she's just like, it's such a high stress environment. Sometimes it can be super high flow, high, like in the zone, but because of the stakes, it can be super high stress. Also talk to us about how the industry manages that stress, because I think that leads to some of your story also, right? How is that stress dealt with as industry-wide, I think is um, my impression. So I think as a whole, it's changing for the better. Um, Good. But I think it's, um, you know, I think by now most people understand that the level of uh, mental, lack of mental health care and substance abuse is like pretty serious in the service industry. Um, there's, I mean, your entire job revolves around that, right? Like, yeah. you know, people, regular people go out to, yeah, out to dinner to have a good time, to eat good food, to drink, you know, good cocktails, good beers, all that kind of stuff that just has a different experience and doing it at home. Um, so, you know, you're around it constantly, like all day. And then like, it's such a high pressure, high stress job for, especially when you couple it with, you're not making any money either. Like, yeah. <laughs> just people in the restaurant industry except for unless you're a server at like a super nice restaurant or a, a restaurant that's like crazy busy and you're you know raking in tips like you're not really making much money so you couple all that um you, you just have to find an outlet almost immediately when work's over um to blow off steam and that generally you know most restaurants at least for me growing up, like my whole life in restaurants in the service industry, like part of the perks of working where you did, where almost everyone like gave out some sort of what's called shift, shift beers or shift drinks or something like that, uh, depending on where you were. Um, you know, I was in college, I worked at a bar and grill place where we got crushed like all the time because it was like a, like a, a huge sports bar, TVs, like all the college kids came there. It's like cheap pizza, like burgers, stuff like that. And, depending on how busy we were and how many, like the ratio of like orders that maybe got messed up or something like that. If it was below a certain percentage, we basically got to like drink for free, like the whole night until the bar closed, like after 11 o'clock. So like from 11 to two, like every single day, if your team crushed it, you're drinking for free. Yeah. So that for a bunch of knuckleheads in the kitchen, that's a pretty good incentive to really you know, do a, a really good job. Um, but that's just kind of like how it is. Like it doesn't seem toxic at the time, but it definitely is. That's just like the, that was the norm. And I think it still is um, to a certain degree, but a lot of, you know, there's so much more awareness of it now. And there's yeah. a lot of people that know, um, you know, how unhealthy that is both ment mentally and physically and uh, how dangerous it is also like in the city, like, in New York City, at least, where I, I worked um, for a little bit, like people don't drive around, so it's not as dangerous. But like where I grew up, like you had to drive to work. Yep. You know, and if you're doing that kind of stuff. Like a whole restaurant team all over town is like doing the same thing and driving home and stuff like that. It's like it's not just dangerous to yourself; it's dangerous to everybody. No doubt, um, yeah. And you just don't. People don't really stop about that. Um, so, so speak to your progression from Iowa City, working at a college bar, working, you know, at a place that that's doing pretty well, and being incentivized 
to party essentially, which again, at 22 sounds great to walking into, you know, I wasn't even 22 yet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was younger than 22. Um, so when I went to the university of Iowa, um, I chose that because believe it or not, I chose it because, uh, looking back, it's a perennial top five party school in the country. Um, wasn't originally what I wanted to do. Like I, I kind of felt pressured. I, I originally actually thought about going um, to a culinary school or something like that. Um, I actually was pretty into health and fitness also outside of like kind of being you know, pretty deep in the restaurant culture. Also, I was still like, I, I was lifting weights for football and I had, um, I actually got hurt my senior year of, of football and lost like 30 or 40 pounds um and got in really good shape and i thought maybe i wanted to try like some sort of like exercise science or like pt school or something like that and i just kept getting sucked back into the restaurant life um which going to the university of iowa there's nothing there's none of that there but i thought i had to do what everyone else was doing and go to like estate school and like do your gen ed stuff and kind of figure it out from there um it was actually a horrible decision. Um, yeah. In hindsight, I was super poor student. Like all I did was, was party. Like at the time you can be in a, a bar um, when you're 18 years old uh, until I don't know, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night or something like that. That was before they changed a bunch of rules in, in Iowa city. Um, so I actually like kind of stopped going to class, um, but I had to do something. So I started working in more restaurants there. So I was doing um, like college bars and stuff like that. And um, around the same time, some of the, some of the food TV shows were actually starting to get pretty, pretty serious. Like Top Chef was on and Anthony Bourdain was, was out like traveling the world and showing like really cool uh, dining destinations and stuff like that. And when I was sitting at home, not going to class, I was watching a lot of that stuff. Um, so, I, I mean, I just started feeling like, I needed to maybe look into it a little bit more as a potential career. Um, so I started, <clears throat> I started looking at like culinary schools, but I didn't want to move too far away. So I found a local culinary school um, about 20 minutes away from the University of Iowa. Um, so I started going there and I was working at a steakhouse at the time. Um, so I was basically, um, I was going to school during the day and then, going to work at a steakhouse at night. Um, but the steakhouse is like kind of like a typical like outback, like kind of like chain kind of place. Yeah. And I really didn't I really didn't like that. It was like the movie Waiting, if you've ever seen the movie Waiting. Oh, sure. with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic, but uh, I didn't want to work that way. Um, especially with all the stuff I was seeing on TV, I was like, there's gotta be so much something better out there. So I started looking around while I was in school and made some connections and um, in downtown Iowa City, there's actually several really nice kind of like white tablecloth um, fine dining restaurants. And I ended up getting a job there. Um, so I was, you know, I was still doing school in the morning and then uh, going to work at night, like you know, two or three in the afternoon, I'd come back and work in a restaurant. And um, I started discovering that I was actually learning more on the job in terms of um, like real cooking, like fine dining style of food than I was in culinary school. Like culinary school is more, more at least 
that particular culinary school I was at it was more of the basic stuff and then a bunch of classic stuff that no one even cooks anymore. Yeah. So um, I actually got an opportunity to be promoted to sous chef. So the position right underneath the chef. Um, but it required me to be at the restaurant more. Like I had to come in at like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning um, instead. So I was like, well, I can't do both. Like I can't do school. I can't do the job like at the same time. So like, you know what, let's roll the dice. I'm just going to gonna go all in on, on being a chef. So um, I chose, I chose the job. So, and that was, I think I was 21 maybe when I was, when I got that position. Um, and then, and little did I know six months after that, it was about six or seven months, somewhere around there. The chef actually got position uh, on the West coast. His, his wife got a new job on the West coast or something like that. And, um, the owner didn't really want to hire out and he saw like how I guess committed to the restaurant I was. So he allowed me to just take the jump and be the executive chef when I was, when I was 20, 22. Um, I wasn't qualified, but I just, I just went for it. Well, um, I mean, but I think that's a, that's a meaningful lesson, right? There's, there's a world where a door opens and we can say, you know, in our head, we can get lost and I'm not ready for this. I'm not qualified you know, just step after step after step of a reason not to. And there's really very few reasons to do it sometimes, right? I love it. It's a good pay increase. Like, but the, the mental barriers are gigantic. I think being 22 probably helps. And then just says, I'm, I'm going to go for it. You know, I think at 35, you might go, I don't know, maybe you guys want to do something different because I don't know that I'm ready for that. I don't like take on that burden. Like, I think there's some, some beautiful ignorance in being young and like confident. Uh, I, I still kind of have that, that same kind of fuck it mentality. I think maybe I was just kind of born that way. Um, not all those decisions that I've made with that mentality have been good. Pro- pro- probably a lot more bad than good. Um, you know, I was, I mean, yeah, I was young and confident, I guess. Like it wasn't until... I decided to move to New York city, but I realized I had no clue what the hell I was doing. And I like literally got my ass kicked, but, um, well, not like, you know, literally, no, literally, but it, it, it certainly felt like it when I moved to New York city, like I absolutely knew nothing when I moved. But, um, and, and you moved to work at Momofuku, right? The Dave Chang restaurant. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. One of them. So funny story. It's kind of like a crazy small world. So, um, the restaurant that I worked at, uh, well, I was the chef at in Iowa City, which um, actually closed a while ago. Like the the owner uh, sold it, uh, turned into something else. He just wanted to retire. You know, after a certain point in time, you don't want to be a restaurant owner anymore for a lot of yeah. people. Um, so there was a law office across the street. And my brother's ex-wife actually worked with this guy who they came in for lunch all the time. Um, it's like one of the, I mean, they pretty much had lunch at the restaurant, like, I don't know, three or four days a week. And come to find out, there was, uh, you know, I was researching a bunch of restaurants uh, in Chicago and New York City. And, you know, it always seemed like kind of like a dream, like kind of an unattainable thing to like move. Like people were like, oh, you'd be you know, crazy. You're not going to move to New York. You're not going to move to Chicago. Like, that, no, that's, you know, that's stupid. Why would you do something like that? And I found out that um, the, the regular um, in the office across the street, he, his son was a chef in New York city and he worked for the Momofuku restaurant group, which was at that time was like one of the hottest restaurant groups in the country. Like everyone kind of 
knew about them. They're like kind of, you know, it was, it was really good food, but they're kind of like changing the whole, you know, dining scene. Like it was less fine dining, white tablecloth and more like, um, like loud music in the dining room, like young people having fun, but the food was still, elite, you know, yeah. fine dining. Yeah. Like elite. And I was like, man, that's, that's a really cool concept. And they're, you know, they're, they weren't really pigeonholed in a type of cuisine. Like there was like a lot of Asian flavors, but it was a lot of French technique and stuff like that. And it was just, it was just new and different. And at the time there was only, there was, um, they just opened the third one in New York city. Uh, now there's, I don't want to, speak but there's a ton of them now less yeah. than prior to covid but there's a ton of them now and, um chef jang's got like three or four tv shows on netflix and like all this kind of stuff she's kind of a household yeah. name and, and the pastry chef at the time christina tosi she's like a like a worldwide superstar with her, um, her, her cookies and cake stuff um but the momofuku cookbook had just been released around christmas time and my brother and his wife got me a copy um, signed by um, Dave Chang and uh, his name's Sam Gelman. Uh, that was the guy's son. And just because I had a connection to him, I asked if I could get an email address just to send him like a thank you or whatever. Because it was super cool, like, you know, this naive young kid from Iowa or whatever getting like a cool, like, signed copy of the cookbook that just got released. Um, and like the, the chef that, uh, his father worked at, across the street. He was in the book too. Like he was like one of the pivotal people in the restaurant group. So I was like, Oh man, that's, that's him. Like he actually has a picture in a cookbook. Like I can make sure. a connection with someone that's in like a book, which is like pretty wild. Um, so I sent him an email and he's like, Hey, no problem. Like a super down to earth guy from, from Iowa. So like, I, I wasn't expecting that because he worked in New York city for so long, but he's still, you know, was super cool and inviting. He's like, do you ever want to come? to new york city you can stay with uh, my wife and i would you know check out a couple restaurants if you want to do a trail or a stodge which is basically like a kind of like a job interview like a job shadow that you don't get paid for um you can come do that so i was like you know what i think i'm going to do that so like in march um in march of that following year i decided that i would go out to new york for a week um he set up a couple couple things. There was actually a brand new Momofuku restaurant um, opening in a hotel in Midtown, um, which is going to be like the biggest and like kind of most ambitious one. Um, that was going to open in like that May. So um, he set set me up with a kind of like a job interview of sorts there. Um, went there and then ate at a couple of the, the best restaurants in the city with him and his wife. And it just like kind of, it blew my mind. I'd never been to, I'd only been to Chicago once. Um, I had been to like LA and San Diego when I was a little kid. So that doesn't count, but like New York city being in there for the first time and just getting immediately dropped into like a restaurant kitchen. And then all these like super like well-known, like high-end restaurants was just like, like my face just melted. Like I was just completely blown away. And I was, um, I had just gotten out of a, uh, I just gotten out of a pretty toxic relationship also. Um, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to do it. Um, as soon as I got back to Iowa city, um, 
it was it was that week. I don't think it was the next day, but it was a day or a couple of days after I got back. I bought a one way ticket. I told everybody. I told work. I told my family. I told like everyone. I was like, I'm, I'm moving to New York. <laughs> so they're like, what? What do you mean? So I, I'm gone. See ya. So in May of that year, um, which was 2010, I moved to New York City, um, and. Well, Sam, who actually was the chef of the new restaurant in, in Midtown, he was the, the chef of cuisine there. So he was actually, he got me to move there and he was my first boss also, which is pretty cool. And him and his wife were like, don't, you can't look on Craigslist from Iowa for an apartment in the city. Just like come, like stay with us for like four or six weeks while you find like a neighborhood, like whatever you can you can, you know, sleep in our office, you know, on a pull-out couch or whatever until you find a place that's like legitimate, and then, and then. I love how this story progresses too, right? It's I want to say thank you, right, I, and just make a connection, and all of a sudden, door opens, door opens, door opens. I find myself in a world-class restaurant that is changing the game in some ways, and you kind of get to be at the ground level of that opportunity in a really formative part of your life. Like that's such a valuable, and again, lesson in some ways for us that are not always willing to take that chance to, to, to blow off the, the current and to look at the future and say, this is an opportunity I can't pass up. And like not knowing where that opportunity is going to come from is such a real thing. You know, like, you know, the reason that, that my version of this business exists is that somebody called and said, Hey, I know this thing that happens. Do you want to do that with my team, with my athletes? And I was like, I don't think I can do that. It's like, no, I think you'd be great. Let's try it. I was like, okay, Stop sure. Gotta go you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, like, you don't know when that opportunity shows up and to say no, right. Like just to be open to yes is, is really valuable. And we say it all the time on here, like a yes to something is a no to something else. A yes to a life in New York is a no to a life in Iowa. Like it's a no to life with family. It's a, it's a no to a lot of things, but it's also a door that opens to some really amazing opportunities to work with the top of the, the top of the craft, you know? Yeah. And part of, I mean, part of, the reason for choosing that restaurant group to work with too like in the, in the book like the all of chef bank restaurants all evolved they all, all started at some original concept and turned into something wildly different like one of the restaurants that i actually went to go work for a, a few years later after working at the, the first one in new york city they started as like a korean burrito restaurant and it failed and they're like we're gonna start cooking for the the kind of food that we wanted to do like late at night and doing these super cool innovative dishes and you know created all this buzz and by the time i went to go work for that restaurant like when i when i got hired to be a sous chef there they're on um in the top 50 uh of restaurants in the world on this on the famous like san pellegrino world top 50 which is which is wild yeah. i mean it was like a small restaurant like doing super cool stuff but like you know, that restaurant started as a failure as a burrito restaurant and then turned into a legitimately like world top 50 restaurant. And 
uh, that was super cool. Like if there was like a culture behind it, like this, the stress behind those was next level. Uh, but there was also like this general mindset of not being afraid to fail. Yeah. Um, which, like I said before, like I, I, I think I was kind of like born with like a similar thing. Like I do get scared to like fail at some things, but I found out that by not trying, it's like that, that cliche old quote, like you, you know, miss 100% of the shots you don't take or whatever like this may be. Like you're never going to, you can't do anything unless you take the shot. So you now work for Semper Stronger. We had Rebecca on a couple months ago and they, their mission is really cool, right? Help develop, you know, and you have the, the personal chef stuff as well. Right. So you have these, this kind of this passion in one area of life. What brought you to fitness and wellness and all that stuff? Because I think there's a through line here that, that maybe is surrounded by addiction, right? That, that kind of, you pull out of this, uh, you know, we talked about the, the industry standard of, or the former industry standard of maybe self-medicating and alcohol and partying and just a lifestyle. Talk to us about how you get into the fitness sort of realm and how that's changed your relationship to, to the food and that industry. Sure. So, um, you know, rewinding, I, you know, I said, I grew up playing a lot of sports and stuff like that. And, uh, I was always an athlete, played football, played baseball, wrestled, like did pretty much, pretty much everything. And, you know, for our football program, we always had to lift weights. Um, so that started really young. Actually, <clears throat> my father is a police officer and he's like, there is no real outside of the high school. There's no gym in our town. So I actually grew up with a, a weight room in my basement. Um, pretty nice one except for cops back then didn't really know anything about lifting so it was really like two bench presses and like preacher curl uh <laughs> like preacher curl stuff um so that that's it but i mean i grew up kind of around that like kind yeah. of almost i wouldn't say like a meat, like meathead culture but um my dad always loved lifting weights and like his friends always were like kind of into that also and um we had a pretty good lifting program in high school. So I always liked that. You know, it's like kind of like that camaraderie thing. Like, you know, you look forward to, even though it's, you know, going to the high school at six o'clock in the morning when you're in high school to like lift weights. I didn't know how important that habit would be. Like when I came back to it years later. Um, but <clears throat> that was always like kind of, it was always kind of there. Like the fitness thing, like I was a little heavier because I ate like a, like you worked in a restaurant <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, around yeah. amazing food. I, it's understandable. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really grow up eating the healthiest food either. Um, that was just more like being naive, but, um, so there was always like a base of at least some level of like fitness and stuff there. Um, and then <clears throat> I actually one one of the last football games of my, my senior year of high school, I broke my ankle. Um, I had decided I didn't want to be like a husky kid anymore. I was always like the, the like one guy that like everyone kind of everyone knew and liked, but I was like, you know, I was, I was overweight and I didn't want to be that way anymore. And I had seen, um, you know, supplement industry started like coming on. So I started like, you know, seeing all this stuff and I just started like getting really crazy with, you know, actually like putting like fitness to good use. So I actually lost a bunch of weight. Um, over the winter and no one really paid any attention to it. Cause I didn't buy any new clothes until like spring. And then everyone like noticed 
like how much weight I'd lost. And it was kind of like, wow, like what happened? Um, so that was actually like the first time I lost a bunch of weight. I liked it, but at the background, um, I was always a huge partier. Like yeah. that, going back to how we started the conversation about not having anything to really do um, in my hometown, uh, there was a lot of a lot of drinking in high school. A lot of, no, lot of no doubt that is whole bunch. That resonates, right? I'm from South Central Minnesota, like so. We have like cornfield parties. You just end up. Yeah. out in the middle of a cornfield and somebody brings a, a cooler, you know, and, yeah. and all of a sudden there's, there's 20 people there and you're like, how did everybody find out that this was happening? Right. You just know, happened, just happened. Yeah. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> you know, going back to like starting the conversation about addiction, like I, I'm one of those people that I remember exactly when my first drink was. Um, I know when it was. I remember who it was with, what it was, what I felt like. Um, yeah, I was a I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I don't think it was my first drink, but the first like party that I went to, I, I was actually dating a senior in high school, and she took me to a senior party, and it was like I had like my I had my first like real cocktail. And I caught my first buzz and that that was it like i was chasing like that initial feeling pretty much until uh, until i was 30 um yeah so you know it was for half my life i chased that same feeling um and being coupled in restaurants that was just always that was that was always there um you know i <clears throat> i was described as full transparency i was like full I was a full-blown alcoholic pretty much from like high school. Like I didn't drink every day, but when I did, it was like, it's like one of those, one of those alcoholics you hear about that's like completely fine. Like when they're, when they don't have anything, but if it's like one, it goes from one to, to, to yep. needing to black, to black out. Like you just have to do that. And that was, that was kind of me. Um, so, and this is 15 years of your life where if it's, if it's one, it's, it goes to, it goes to a hundred really quickly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Zero, zero to a hundred. Um, and usually it got worse. Like if I ever like noticed a problem and it's like, you know what, I, I should probably try to cut this back. Like when I tried to abstain from it, um, it's actually made things worse. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause I never wanted to get like professional help. Like there were several opportunities for me to do so throughout there's an instance in high school that I could have gotten professional help. There's a couple instances in college that I could have got professional help, but I just never, I never did. Like for whatever reason, I mean, you're from the Midwest, the tiny town, like alcohol isn't seem to be like, yeah, right. It doesn't have the same severity to it as like, if you're addicted to painkillers now, Yeah, you know, like immediately someone would try to get your professional help. But because alcohol is literally everywhere and every like obviously not everyone drinks, but an overwhelming majority drinks and a lot of people drink too much. And then there are some of us that just like take it to a whole other level. Um, it was definitely like a sickness. Like, uh, and it's so normalized, right? Like the culture normalizes it. The, the community culture normalizes it. And then you walk into a restaurant where it's almost glorified, deified. And in some ways that's true in, in certain communities too, you know, certain small communities in the Midwest, like the party scene is 
the deified, the glorified scene where like, if you're a part of that, you have a certain status, right? And not oh, just yeah, that, 100%. not just at 15 or 16 or 18, like if you're 35 or four, like there's adults that have the same sort of, this is our life and it's the best kind of life. And it looks very attractive from the outside, you know, like in those small communities, yeah. because it's, you know, it's, it can be pretty lonely, right? There's not a lot to do. There's not a lot of, like, you know, everybody. So there's, there's no secrets in some ways. And then these people are living kind of this, I don't know, glorified life. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's held up on a pedestal that they're having fun. They have these connections, they have friends, like, and it's out there visible for the public. And so it just becomes not only normalized, like it's kind of sexy in some ways. Right. And now, you know, you're 15, 16, 17, you're like that. I want to be that. Um, so I was like that. It, it kept going to college also. Like I, I was super high functioning also. Like I was always, I was always either like hung over, but still performing like at work or whatever at a high level school. Don't worry about school. Like better. I don't I just eliminated that. Um, but like at, at work, it was always that, I mean, you hear it all the time. Like the, the people in the restaurant industry, like the whole work hard, play harder kind of thing. It was like me to a T. It was like, yeah you work your ass off for like 12 hours, 14 hours, then you go to the bar afterwards and then go until you can't go anymore. Sometimes go like, I was always up later than everyone else. Like everyone else would call it a day. I would keep going. Even one or two more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or four more. Whatever. Um, but that kept, so that kept going. Even when New York city, like it became a much more lonely place in New York city also. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I really didn't know. I obviously didn't know anybody when I moved. Um, I had the guys that you know, I worked with at the restaurant and because it was so high pressure. Like we always, it was like, I had zero money. Like I didn't get paid anything. I pretty much got paid the same as what I would have had in Iowa, but the cost of living was like three or four X yeah. York city. Um, like any extra money that I had, I would literally, you know, we'd spend it at the bar after dinner service, you know, like five days a week. <laughs> Is all literally almost every day, but you're performing at such a high level, it doesn't matter. It's like just constant, like, I guess, like adrenaline all the time. Yeah. Sundays were usually like, I was like, we'd just be dead at, at, my, at my apartment, just completely dead, because it would just like all hit me and just be like, oh, what happened? But then you just wake up on Monday and do it all over again. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, so what so pulls you out of this cycle? Like, how do you get? to where you are today right your own business so, you're like yeah so we got i had met my wife um in the city who's from new jersey she's a trained pastry chef we met at a bar if you can imagine that um we decided after being in the city for a few years that we wanted to move back to jersey where she's from to you know eventually start a family so we started doing that and i kind of changed careers i got out of the restaurant industry uh, i worked for whole foods market um and leadership within the meat department because I had a lot of experience with like most detail butchering and stuff like that. So things were actually getting a little bit better because I had kind of a normal life. Um, but I found myself with so much more free time because it was like a nine to five. So I like started working out more, but I also started to drink more because there was just so much extra time. Um, so the initial seed was planted that maybe I wanted to get better both you know, physically and mentally. Whatever. It still didn't get quite better yet. So I was, another couple of years, 
go down the road, I started working for a high-end catering company, um, doing parties for like, you know, literally like the one percenters, you know, um, you know, in in Manhattan and North Jersey, down the shore, the Hamptons, Connecticut, like Greenwich, Connecticut, stuff like that. And that opened my eyes to a whole bunch of new worlds, potential new career path. Like I thought it was pretty cool. Like I didn't want to do any like big dinners or anything like that, but like on a smaller scale or something that maybe I thought I could maybe open my own business one day. Um, so I did that, but the dripping was still getting next level, next level, next level. Right. Um, not really sure why, but I kept going. It's a degenerative, excuse me, degenerative disease. So it kept getting worse. Like we're still, I still wasn't ready to like get help yet. Um, and then I went to go work for, um, still out of the restaurant industry, but I wanted to like still touch it a little bit. So I went to work for um, a sustainable meat company where I learned a lot about sustainable ways, meats, uh, wild game and stuff like that. Um, I was actually a customer of them in New York city as a chef. And then I decided to go work for them because it was a nine to five. We had a baby on the way. Um, I decided that like, I really had to do start doing something um, because it wasn't just going to be me and her anymore. It was, you know, we had a, a baby on the way. And it was a great in terms of, um, it was much less stress. Um, but going back, it's like the drinking was still getting worse. Yeah. It was like there's less, less and less stress, but there wasn't a baby coming. So there was a different kind of stress coming. And so I just started getting like really actually kind of like out of control. Um, like it was always kind of out of control, but it was like pretty serious, like dangerous, out of control. And the turning point came um, actually on my wife's birthday. Uh, went to her her family's house for my wife's birthday, um, and I was just in charge of making like mashed potatoes. Right? And I showed up to the house so drunk I couldn't even bake mashed potatoes. And uh, her parents ended up calling my parents back in Iowa who was I mean they're kind of detached right because they're not they're not around every day to see like what was going on and I was very I was very high performing except for that particular day of course um and I was also very good at, at hiding my problems and to this day like there's not too many people that really know how bad it was there is just like oh Brett he likes you know he parties he likes to really get after it you know what I mean um, crazy guy or whatever but it was like it was very serious like yeah it was like lo- lo- really like a life or death sort of turning point um you know my my parents got involved my wife's parents got involved like before that it was kind of like they need to figure it out on their own and get help or whatever but then it got to a point where it's like it's almost like those um uh I don't remember what you call those. Like if you watch the show like Intervention or something like that, what the hell is it? Oh, Intervention. Yeah. Intervention. <laughs> that's the word that's the word I was looking for. Pretty much like that. Um, you know, my son was already was already born. He was uh, he was like one and it was it was just bad. And I had I had to really figure out what was gonna happen and I didn't want to lose my job. Like I was like, okay, I, I really need help. I need to like go to rehab, but I can't like go to like an in-person rehab because then I'll lose my job. And then like, I probably should have done that because, but in the, in that moment, like when you have such a, you know, terrible affliction, like you're like so scared of like losing it all. But like, if you still stay in it, you're going to lose everything anyways. But I was too afraid to like, really like succumb. Like I still, I think in the back of my mind thought that I could get through it on my own. Yeah. Um, 
but at that point it had been 15 years. Yeah. Right. It was like half of my, it was my entire teenage years, all of my twenties, like well, gone, not gone, but I mean, yeah, no, I mean, like, and this is something that's affected my life, you know, not me personally, but the family and friends and, you know, former roommates and these things, it's like, there's, there's these connections that I understand pretty deeply what you're talking about. And yet, and I, and I understand the outsider's perspective and like living with it a little bit on the inside, but I can't know what's going on inside of you. And one of the things that I've, you know, just reading and experiencing is like this idea of, of how life kind of pulls you towards what you give it attention to. Right. And so you're giving attention to, to that thing because it's a chemical imbalance. Like there's a, there's a literal need for it mentally, physically, emotionally. Right. And so it pulls you over here and it kind of just pulls your whole life over here. So you end up in a place where you, you know, you're a trained chef and you can't make mashed potatoes on your wife's birthday. Like that's, I mean, I just hear that and my heart breaks. Right. And, and then you still think I can manage this by myself. (laughs) I, I, I think there's just such an incredible thing that we need to pay attention to in that for each of us personally, like we all have something that we think, Oh, I can manage this. It's not too big. It's, and it, it might not be an addiction, but it might be, you know, our job and that can become an addiction too. Right? I, there's just so much there. You're like, I'm going to prioritize all this other stuff over the things that I actually value. And then there becomes this like cognitive dissonance. There's this thing that I don't understand about why I live this way because I don't want to be that person. And yet I still do all that stuff. How do you reconcile that in the moment? I'm, maybe you aren't aware of it in the moment, but I, I'm just curious about that because I, you know, like, I think a lot of people from the outside go, well, clearly he even admits that he doesn't want to be that thing. He wants to be there for his kid. He wants to be in this job that he really likes. He doesn't want to lose his job and yet still makes this decision over here all the time. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I think it was, it was very eye-opening because um, my wife's father, um, stepfather, can be a little intimidating. Like usually, like if he has a serious conversation with you, like it's like it's like biz- it's like yeah. business. And he and he sat me down. Like it was a couple days later. Like obviously, like the smoke needed to clear a little bit. Um, he sat me down, and it was pretty much like like the disappointment that. You know, yeah. it's like, no. it's what you hear. Like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. It was like the disappointment was real. Like I knew that everyone else knew in the family, like how bad it was. Um, and that something had to change or the family was, was gone. It was like that. It was like an, I mean, it's essentially, it was like an ultimatum and it was like, like seeing how many, like, you know, I have no idea how many times I probably broke my life's heart just by like, just being like, a, you know, a shitty yeah. human being, you know, yeah. um, not that it was intentional by any means. Um, well, and, and how much they see like you lying to yourself, right? Yeah. How much they understand that you're not being honest and truthful with yourself, you know, like, and that's the, that's the truly disappointing, heartbreaking thing is like, I want to help. I want to be here. I want to give so that I can, so that I can s- save this person. Right. So that we don't end up, in that really negative place. And yet they can't see it. 
Like I can see it. They can't see it. I can, they lie to themselves all the time that everything's fine. And yet here we are again, you know, like that, that's a yeah. personal thing I'm speaking it from. Right. I know that because I've seen yeah. it and it is heartbreaking. And yet we still make that choice, right? We still make that choice. And it's just such a, it's such a fascinating thing for me to think about because it does have to kind of come to this hit rock bottom moment where somebody sits you down and says, it can't continue like this. Yeah. And that, you know, that's what happened. Obviously I didn't want, you know, I'm a, I'm a very good person. I was down a, a very, very dark and twisted road. And I didn't want to continue to like disappoint or hurt anybody, especially in my own family. Um, Cause it's literally all I had I, at that point. I had worked so much that I didn't even really have friends either. Um, yeah. I've always kind of like, kind of been like, like that. I've always been kind of consumed by work. So I was like, I, would, I was just going to be like over basically. So um, I did a little bit of research and I found like an, uh, an outpatient um, rehab program that I went to. I, I honestly don't remember how many days a week it was. Um, it was a couple days a week. So I was, you know, away from, it was like four hours a night. <clears throat> it was kind of like an intensive like therapy coupled with like AA sort of stuff and all that kind of stuff um, that I was into. And you know, slowly I, you know, I started changing my mindset, you know, hearing other people's stories, uh, not just with alcohol, but just in, you know, substance abuse. And there's people with other issues also like with addiction that didn't have to do with drugs or alcohol too. And it was just like hearing all these people, they were in, you know, from completely different walks of life with similar problems and similar like mindsets to what was going on. Um, I just opened my mind more. Like I came to the realization that it's not that's not who I am. Like it, it took like hours and hours and hours and hours of like talking amongst this group of people to realize like what the hell am I doing? Like what am I doing? Like this isn't me. This isn't how I was raised. This isn't like you know. It, it put the light that there was something wrong, you know, mentally, like chemically, like however you want to put that into a box. But, you know, it gave me enough confidence to like, like, you know what? I don't have to go back. I don't have to go back to that. Like, I don't have to live that way anymore. I had started working out from home a little bit. I joined the gym, just kind of started getting back into it. I didn't know. I just kind of went back to like what, uh, fitness wise and like nutrition wise kind of like what I grew up with like I, I kind of knew how to, to eat healthy like cutting out alcohol was a significant <laughs> yeah. daily calorie thing so I honestly started to lose weight like right away um, at this point like when I had stopped drinking I was at like 260 like 259 and a half right uh, I wasn't working in restaurants anymore so that was also kind of a leg up um, in terms of like being able to get like my general health under control. Um, yeah, I, did, I started reading more about health and fitness and uh, you know, strength training stuff online. Started listening to podcasts. Um, there were several that I had kind of gotten into, um, all with similar information. So I just started eating like super clean. Like I kind of latched onto the the paleo movement because sure. uh, it made it made a lot of sense to me. Um, and, you know, little by little, like, I, you know, I, I had a bunch of stuff in the garage, I had like a bunch of kettlebells and 
uh, barbell and like a bunch of stuff I was doing in the garage. And I was waking up at 5 a.m. every single day, no matter what, you know, because that was something that I knew worked really well in, in high school because uh, I knew it was a good habit to be in. And I knew if I didn't get um, some sort of training in first thing in the morning, it was going to set me up to fail the rest of the day. Well, and then your kids um, wake up and there just isn't time yeah, for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's even it's even worse now. So, like, if it doesn't happen first thing in the morning, it's not going to happen. So, yeah. I developed that habit right away, and I, I just kept like getting you know more and more fit, start feeling so much better, um, you know, start trickling into other areas of my life too. Just like yeah. uh, just having a, a, a positive mindset is like kind of infectious like other people kind of like latched on to that too asked well you know what are you doing what can i do um it's just like <clears throat> all areas of life improved for sure so um, so i i that story that i kind of explained a few episodes ago and the same thing was true of me once i started to like take steps i wasn't out of debt yet but once i you know six months had taken meaningful steps like on a budget paying stuff off like Keystone habit, right? That's effectively what we're talking about. Your keystone habit for a long time was drinking, right? And then it became something else, right? Whether that was waking up at 5 a.m. or fitness. For me, it was budgeting. Once that one habit was kind of established, and that's like Charles Duhigg, Power of Habit. If anybody's interested, that book is is really kind of the, where I take this keystone habit idea from. But when you create that keystone habit, now it just radiates out into everything in life. For me, once I started getting on a budget, started losing weight, started working out again, eating healthier, you know, reading again, uh, writing again, like just doing so many things that I had done, but that identity formation had been so consumed by how am I all this way in debt and I can't do anything about it. And just the weight of that pressing down. Now I'm starting yeah. to take action against it. And now there's freedom to let some of those things back in. And now it becomes this spiral of really healthy outcomes. And now it just like the, your, your whole person changes as a result of it. And it can't help but be noticed by everyone, right? It just right. radiates out of you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> up to... Uh... I guess maybe it's like three years ago, uh, like the grand total of weight, I, I got down to 185. So from, wow. from 260 to 185. And I've kind of like been there for a while. And it's just like, you know, it, it feels, it feels really good. Like I have a little bit more leeway with diet now because I mean, I have kids. So it's like, you know, you got, you do have to live some of your life. Like I, I actually swung the other way with, you know, having almost too unhealthy of a healthy habit, if that makes sense, which happens a lot. Like you kind of trade one addiction for another. For sure. Um, But now I have enough tools in my, in my mind to to recognize that as being that way. So I have to make a conscious effort to like live a little bit now, Um, you know, and when I was with the meat company, um, I actually had, you know, going back to Semper Stronger, you had asked me about Semper Stronger. Um, I had, I was in charge of, of New Jersey, um, was trying to, I was a culinary sales specialist. So I was selling sustainable meats to restaurants and hotels and other clubs, all that kind of stuff. And, um, when COVID hit, things <clears throat> got a little bit different and more challenging. So I still wanted to stay with the company, but like I was a commission-based sales job and it was like, my back was again up against the wall. And 
I started trying to make connections with like fitness influencers and stuff like that, that may have been in New Jersey and New York city, um, to potentially like maybe promote the, you know, promote the brand, like be ambassadors or something like that, because, you know, that was a potential like revenue stream Like people, you know, wanting to eat healthy, you know, like maybe we could get. Yeah. It's a natural whatever. fit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a natural fit. Um, so I actually had met, uh, connected with Rebecca and Joel through Simper Stronger um, just through Instagram. And that actually had turned into them wanting me to do a dinner for Rebecca's birthday a couple of years ago, um, which I was doing because of COVID. Like I had dabbled a little bit in doing some private dinners and stuff like that on the side, um, just for some extra income. Um, but I had started thinking about whether or not it was a good time to roll the dice and just leave everything and start my own business. Um, Cause we had like a set amount of time, like before, I mean, when COVID hit, we had just bought a brand new house. Yeah. My wife and I were both in commission-based sales jobs within the restaurant industry and everything was closed. Yeah. So we bought a house and we lost like 60% of our, set, our household income, yeah. like virtually overnight. And it was like super scary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thankfully we could like delay our mortgage. So that gave us a little bit of time to like kind of figure out what it was going to look like. But, you know, New Jersey and New York City, like the, the regulations and everything were like yeah, pretty, pretty heavy. So there wasn't a very positive outlook on when I would potentially get back to almost normal with, in terms of like my commission-based sales. Um, so I had pretty much, I had a website, like a crappy website, like for private chef stuff. Um, I was doing like a dinner every like three months or something like that. It was literally nothing. But um, I was like, you know what? Let me go through my emails. Like anyone that's ever contacted me before, um, I'm just going to send them a cold email. Like, hey, what's going on? You know, if you guys don't want to go out to a restaurant for, for dinner and you want to maybe have something in your house, you know, let me know, like we can maybe work something out. I'm doing more of this on the side, even though I wasn't, I wasn't booking anything, but I was telling people <laughs> that I was like getting more interest because I had to like, I had to figure something out. Like we for were sure. going to be absolutely screwed. So I started doing that and a, a family actually reached out to me um, that I had contact with before and nothing had ever panned out. And they actually wanted me to cook for the whole family every single week. Um, and just like drop meals off. I was like, okay. So I established like what that would cost. And I started doing that. Um, and then there's a local gym owner um, here by me that has kind of like a very exploding business. He has like uh, close to 70,000 70, followers on Instagram, super busy. He doesn't cook. I DM'd him. I was like, hey, you know, if you, at this point I was pretty deep into nutrition also. And sure. um, um, I actually became certified with pre precision nutrition also. Not to not to become a health coach or anything like that, but because I knew that if I wanted to be able to cook for families and stuff like that, it would be a good education base for families wanting to eat healthy as a whole. So I did that during COVID also, um, just as an investment in myself to just make myself more rounded as a chef also. Um, but I offered to cook his meals for him one week for free. And he said, sure, let's give it a shot. He paid me. He didn't want me to do it for free. So he paid me and he's like, okay, let's do it. Um, so all of a sudden out of like in a week's time, I had two literal like full-time clients paying kind of a premium for me to do their meals for them. And I talked to my wife. I was like, 
I mean, I think I think we might have something here. I think that maybe it's a good time to to roll the dice on this. And you know, it's I've been betting on other people for so long. I think it's time that I have enough confidence to start betting on myself. So I did. I, I literally that same week I set up an LLC. I put in my notice at at, uh, at the job I was at for the, the previous five years, and actually didn't even. It wasn't even two week notice. They're just like, okay, turn in your turn in your work phone and but you know, good luck to you. I was like, okay, so like my life as like a private chef started like literally the the moment I decided to do it, and it's just been it's been growing organically from then. You know, I'm um, I'm up to between five and eight families per week plus dinner parties. Um, so we're doing that's not including the gym client. Um, I was doing some individualized like macro based like meals and stuff like that too which was great and it was a great like way to fill in the gaps during the week um, but ultimately I decided it wasn't um, it wasn't efficient with my time to, to mm-hmm. be able to do that also and to focus more of my stuff on like the families and, and on families and private dinner parties um, or like bigger ticket items um, and when I made that decision it also gave me freedom to to do some more stuff to I guess like diversify my income um I had been talking to Joel and Rebecca for a while and they they wanted to bring me on board as a you know as a nutrition coach um for Semper Stronger um I had been a member of the Semper Stronger community for a month and I love the I love the app I, I love what they stand for um the workouts are great I primarily only do stuff with kettlebells at home now um yeah. Same thing, five o'clock every single morning. Um, and I just, you know, I just loved it. So I did commit to that. I actually had to pull back a little bit from the like set nutrition coach role because it would have, it would have commandeered like way too much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am, I am um, still on board with them as uh, a brand ambassador and I'm, I create uh, nutrition content for the social media also. Um, nice. It's more like, it's not sciencey. Um, I try to distill it down for regular people to understand because in my, in my experience, like trying to explain nutrition to the everyday person is, it's very hard. Yeah. It's very, very hard. So I try to make things as simple as possible. Um, where can we connect me, with that? Where can, where can listeners say, Hey, I want to, I want to connect to that idea. What is your Instagram? I mean, or is that just through Semper Stronger? Or? No. So I, I, promote both my own business um, as well as some simple stronger stuff on my own Instagram, which is at chef Brett Smith. Um, that's Brett with two T's and then Semper stronger is at Semper stronger. Um, so there'll be like one or two nutrition things and that's going to grow also. Like I'm going to start doing some like healthy um, recipes and, and videos and stuff like that for them also. Um, with, because I cook healthy for my clients, like I, I can actually kind of do double duty. Um, nice, if I yeah. plan, I can actually do like, you know, film something content for, for my own and for them. And it all fits synergistically because at the end of the day, I want everyone to have like the same healthy mindset and be able to you know, feel better and, and just live a better life. So, Isn't that amazing when we do, when we do what we say we do, it makes it real easy to just piggyback on top, right? When we have integrity, it's real easy to just add to that integrity, like not, not challenging for me to enter to video what I'm prepping because what I prep in is what I believe in. What I believe in is what I give to my clients. 
It just, yes. it, like you said, it's, it's, it's synergy. What a cool story to, to talk about kind of this small town, Iowa kid becoming this, you know, you're in New York doing it at the big leagues. And then I got to pull back. I got to assess my own personal health. I'm going to start my own business. Pretty awesome, man. Uh, we're so excited you could join us and share all that and, and for, for your transparency about what you struggle with. And, and uh, you it's grew important. us today. I think, so. it's, I think it's important. Yeah, man. Well, there's well, we a, lot appreciate of, a lot of people. Well, listen, um, just real quick. Yeah. So back, I don't know if you're, you still live in Minnesota? I do, yeah. Um, so there's probably, if it's anything like where I came from, like there's, there's still a stigma around it. So like, I think the more people talk about substance abuse especially like alcohol which is so available like if some even if like one person hears my story and can connect with it that's really all that all that matters absolutely i mean i've learned that in my experience also right that if we connect to other people we got a chance if we try and do it solo it's just (laughs) it's just too hard man it's too hard We, we don't have the tools Right. And we're made for community. We're made to do this thing together. And, um, you know, people like you sharing that story and, and being willing to communicate what your struggles were allows other people to, to potentially connect to it. We got a chance, right. We got a chance to grow. And, uh, like I said, we appreciate your willingness to do that and, and for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, man. John, I'd I was kind of blown away by just the experience that Brett has had, right? This, this kind of broad experience in the culinary world and then with alcohol, right? And with addiction and with the, the struggles and the challenges of being from a place. And we talked about this in the end a little bit where it's really normal and it's really accepted. And then like you go into an industry where it's really normal and it's really accepted and how much like changing your circumstance might change your behavior, might change your performance, might change your outcomes. Or in his case, it doesn't really change, right? He gets out of the restaurant industry. He gets out, but the, the grip of that challenge was so serious and significant. It had been there for so long that to overcome it, we really had to invest in something else. And I think like we, we both know and have experienced that, right. We both see how that context matters so much. No, I, I agree. I I think that's something that, you know, I alluded to it in the, in the intro where it's like, Hey, we're from the Midwest. Yeah. And whether, whether we're talking about addiction or our emotions or countless other things, right. The, the lifestyle is no, Hey, let's put up this front that everything is okay. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do with these conversations. Again, regardless of whether we're talking about drugs, alcohol, any other sort of vice, right. Um, it's, it's about, Hey, we can talk about it. And if we don't, then one, we just continue to spiral down. And if we don't change our circumstance, Certainly we have talked about that many, many times, but, uh, this, like you said, is, is something that is really important. And, and I think something that it's hard for people to talk about sometimes. And at the same time, we all have experienced it in some way. Well, and that's what I'm so grateful to Brett for is right. I, we, 
we went there. He was able to talk about that and to say with some transparency, you know, like, Hey, I, I'm at my, my wife's birthday and the rubber meets the road, right. With my extended family, with my father-in-law, like I, I had to have that kind of bounce off the bottom moment where it was obvious and available to everybody because I wasn't going to talk about it. Right. And that, you know, we go back to episode hundred and JP asked me about my debt story. Same thing, right? I had to bounce off the bottom and like people had to know about it and I had to open up and, and you know, the, the mindset, right. Of the Midwest is that like, if we don't talk about it, then it's not a problem, right? If we don't, if it's, if it's not out in the open, we'll deal with it. We'll overcome, right. The kind of the Protestant ethic, right. Of, of Max Weber fame, right. But, that's not true. It's just like, I'm so glad that the world is catching up to that. And yet we still have a long way to go. Well, and I think it's important too, to, to think about the, not everybody's bottom is the same. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that's the other trap that we fall into is we compare ourselves to other people and we're like, Oh, my situation and what I do is not as bad as so-and-so. And again, this, what fill in the blank of what you're trying to change or what you don't like about your situation or it isn't working right is if we compare ourselves to other people then we make it okay for for us versus saying hey no this is i don't maybe need to reach that point where i'm at my family's situation and somebody has to have an intervention with me yeah. my bottom might be right now right it might be different and so i can choose that now nah. it's hard. It's hard. Well, we, again, but, at the top, we started talking about like it's choices that we make that put ourselves into busy or put ourselves into unavailable. Well, it's just a, another choice that you have to make to confront whatever challenges you're dealing with. And like in the same way, one of the other things we talked about was him being really willing to take risks, right? To There's a door that opens. I'm going to walk through it because this is a cool opportunity. Like the, there. I think that actually getting out of the alcohol spiral is directly related to him being kind of bold and saying, yeah, like I, I noticed, I didn't notice it. I wasn't seeing it. It was, it was too much for me. Now I notice it. I can't not take the first step, right? I can't not take that risk to go out there and, and do that thing. What, what an opportunity for us to learn from somebody that's done that in multiple ways, one to go and chase success and performance and, a cool opportunity the other to say i need to fix something that's broken right now yeah no doubt we appreciate brett joining us and sharing and being vulnerable and you know that's that's what we are about at the eyes up mindset podcast is having real conversations with people that are going to stretch and grow us and so we appreciate him doing that for us today and we appreciate you guys listening today as well we have a pretty loyal following, Jamie. I, I, I really Absolutely. feel good about, um, you know, we kind of have a real set number of people we can count on that know, we know are going to tune in. And, and so if you're out there listening and you're one of those people, we certainly appreciate you. And, and if you're joining us, like I said, for the first time, welcome. Hopefully we can uh, keep you around for a while, listen to a few other episodes because we have incredible guests that share incredible stories. So um, blessed to be doing what we do, Jamie. And um, yeah, anything else you got? No, it's just, you're right. It's so cool to see that continued committed group show up and, and just know that the people we're bringing on 
are giving good juice consistently and, and that we have some capacity to, to connect with y'all. And it's, it's, it's pretty and, great. And there's always room to grow. Right. Sure. And so the challenge for you is if you're, if you are a long time listener, who have you shared this with recently? Who needs to hear this conversation or someone else's conversation? Give it away. We appreciate you joining us. And as always, we buys up.